0: Thanks for being brave and for, for recording that video. And uh, Pastor Jim, thanks for the great job uh, putting that together and editing it Um Well, we're in a series related to what uh, Valerie just uh, launched us with into the message here, and, and we've been calling it Following Jesus Together. And we've spent the first half of the series here or so really focused in on following Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, our rabbi, following our teacher. And I wanted to shift these last few weeks to focusing a little bit more on what the together part means, because God wired it that we are folks that are not intended to stand alone. Nobody stands alone. We need each other. Uh, God actually rigged it that way. (laughs) So I want to look at a little bit more of what does it mean to do it together? Together. And um, one of the great stories in the Bible about following Jesus together is told in Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at starting in verse 1. And and we're going to look at this story. It's a story of a paralyzed man and his friends who brought him to Jesus. Uh, You could say it's a story of a jam-packed house, some roof crashers, and a fellowship of the mat. And before I read um, this story and get into the text, uh, that phrase, the fellowship of the mat, uh, is borrowed from John Ortberg many years ago, um, and I wanted to give him proper credit. But I also want to give proper credit to many of my long-term friends ever since we latched on to that phrase many, many years ago, uh, people that have been a fellowship of the mat in my life for many, many years, and I see you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. I see a bunch of people around this year, way, way back in my life, who have lived this out, and so you guys have been a fellowship of the mat for, for me. Um, Isaac's one of those as well, and he's painting uh, the scene over here, which I can't wait to see when it's all done. Thanks, brother. Love how you worship that way. So here we go. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It'll be up on the screen. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, key phrase, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves... Why does this fellow talk like that? He's, he's blaspheming. No one can forgive sins but God alone. But immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now he turns from them to the paralytic and says, I tell you, take up your mat and go, get up, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I love this story, and what I want to do in the rest of our time together this morning is I want to kind of wander through this story about some of the background and maybe what this man's life had been like, and, and I want to wonder about his friends as well. And I want to start by just trying to imagine, what would have life been like for a paralytic in the ancient world? For this guy, his life was probably lived out on a, a probably like 3 foot by 6 foot mat. And if he had been paralyzed from a young age, um, as a kid, other kids would go out to play, he would have to sit and watch. Someone has to feed him, clothe him, clean him when he soils himself. And if he wants to go somewhere, someone would have to pick him up and carry him there. And back in that day, there were no cures, there were no surgeries, there were no physical therapy, no treatment. If you were paralyzed, most likely that your life was destined that you would become a beggar. And if that was the case, someone would have to take you and still lay you by the side of the road where you would rely on people dropping coins off so that you could maybe just eat that day. So there's a good chance that this guy has no money, no job, probably no real family close by, and seemingly not much of a future. But the guy in this Mark II story, <laughs> he does have one thing going for him. He has friends. He has amazing friends uh, ortberg says he is in one of the killer small groups of all time <laughs> love that see right but cuz if it's not for his like his crazy small group posse here he never would get in front of jesus he would never get healed and for this crippled guy or any crippled guy uh, the the friendships that he would have probably didn't happen you know randomly Like Because of his disability, the deck was stacked against him actually having friendships. Because think about it, even in our day, people that wrestle with physical challenges often say that the most difficult obstacles they face are the attitudes of so-called able-bodied people who are sometimes unkind, maybe anxious about how to respond. Maybe we sometimes look our eyes away to avoid any sort of eye contact. One writer says it this way, this is a fast-paced world that we live in. It's not a very gracious place for those who can't run as fast as most of us. So that's our day, but think even worse, maybe harder, back in the ancient world could be more cruel. More cruel. 500 BC, there was a statute on the books in Roman culture that said, quickly kill a deformed child. Yikes. Yikes. Right, they would it was pretty normal to dispose of a baby if they looked at all different that was in Rome but even in Israel where you would hope that the people of God had compassion on the disabled still people would often assume that if someone was suffering physically they must have done something to bring it on themselves there's a story in John chapter 9 that mentions this belief where the disciples they see a man who was Um, blind from birth, and the disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind? Super sensitive disciples, by the way, at this point, right? Hello. Um, See, there was this bad theology that assumed that if someone was disabled, well, everything that happens is the will of God, and by the way, it's not. (laughs) If someone was disabled, then somebody must be being punished, which, by the way, Jesus upended that whole Bad theology by saying, what word right here in verse 3? Neither. (laughs) Neither. So it's just important as we look at the story of this paralyzed guy and we think about the setting, we have to remember that this guy's story, life was pretty rough. It was pretty tough. And somehow, though, he's got a little posse of friends. And this little posse of friend is not about to let any obstacle stop them. Uh, This little group of friends probably didn't happen by accident. I mean, in the face of all these social hurdles, social stigma, inconvenience, a high cost of time and energy, they must have chosen to become friends. And here's the deal. People rarely drift into deep community. It takes intentional choices. It takes choosing. It takes choosing. And I'm going to plan next Sunday to talk more about this kind of vibe in the early church Um, um, in Acts chapter 2. We see this one descriptor of the early church. It's very countercultural. It was back then. It still is today. But in speaking of this kind of oneness of people's hearts and minds in the early church, the writer Luke notes um, in the book of Acts that they met together daily daily. They chose to worship together, eat together, pray together on a daily basis, and I'm not saying that's what we have to do, but it's just no wonder that they grew so close. They were so tied in together, and it points to me that one of our problems is how we attempt to replicate that first century community on a 21st century timetable, and it just doesn't work, does it? It just doesn't work. Scores of experts across the board uh, agree that probably the greatest single barrier to deep connectedness and relationships for most of us is simply the pace of our lives. Right, right. How many times have you heard or, like me, said things like, "Oh man, ah, I'm just so busy. I'm so busy," or, "Or hey, hey, we got to get together soon." Um, Or, hey, let's do lunch in a few weeks when things finally settle down. Anybody besides me ever say, or hear? Yeah, okay, so a few of us. Another quote from Ortberg, he says, the the, the requirement for true intimacy is unhurried time. If you think you can fit deep community into the cracks of an overloaded schedule, think again. Wise people do not try to microwave friendship, parenting, or marriage. You can't do community in a hurry, right? Right? You can't listen in a hurry, you can't mourn or rejoice in a hurry, it can't be done. And you can't carry somebody else's mat in a hurry. And everyone, everybody has a mat. See, we all have brokenness in our lives, parts of us that are messed up, all of us are imperfect. And we all come with a mat, which is hard for those of us who are high-functioning to admit because it's a very vulnerable thing to have somebody else carry your mat. See, because somebody else, if they're carrying your mat, then they see you in your weakness. But wherever human beings love and accept and serve each other in the face of weakness and need, there is a fellowship of the mat that takes place. Again, you heard Valerie describe some of that in her story this last year with having having a knee injury and then having to have all that taken care of, like, whew, sometimes you have to lean in. Sometimes you have to lean in. And I'll say this again, here's the truth about all of us. Everybody has a mat. Now, when I think of this idea of a mat, this is the metaphor um, really for our brokenness and our imperfection. It's, uh, it's the stuff that's, you know, not normal about me. Um, it's the little imperfections that I most desire to hide because I don't want you to see them. And so maybe I'll hide my imperfections by deflecting or blaming or being angry or picking fights or being controlling or demanding. See, it's all my false self stuff that, that I try to use in order to hide But when we allow others, and only when we allow others to see our mat, when we give and receive help from each other, it's only then that healing becomes possible. See, every Alcoholics Anonymous meeting is a fellowship of the mat. Every Celebrate Recovery meeting is a fellowship of the mat. So are healthy churches, so are healthy families, which is good news, because we all need this, because everybody has a mat. And maybe your mat is a raging temper, or fear, or an inability to trust. Uh, maybe it's a need to be in control because you've been hurt so bad before. Or maybe your mat involves some terrible secret of some awful thing that you did that you still feel guilty about. Maybe it's, maybe it's a crushing sense of failure, or inadequacy, or loneliness. Maybe your mat is depression or anxiety. Maybe it's resentment or shame that keeps you from letting others really know and really love you. And maybe it's because you've been let down over and over again and again, and I get it. And when that stuff happens, we'd rather hide. We'd rather hide. But true, biblical, authentic community where we follow Jesus together even though we do it imperfectly, that community is made up of people who learn to accept and forgive each other and be vulnerable with each other. Because here's the deal. If you want to build a real friendship, you can't always be the strong one. You can't always be the one helping others. This is hard for those of us that are high-functioning, are used to having people lean into us, especially when we're in need. You can't always be the strong one. Sometimes you will have to let somebody else carry your mat. Again, I'm not gonna pick on Valerie too much more here, but, but it, Valerie's a strong woman. If you know Valerie, she is a strong woman, but by being willing <clears throat> to risk, to risk trusting others, to allow them to see her vulnerabilities, allowing them to carry her mat. She's experiencing, friends, freedom and healing from from past hurts and past church hurts. And I know others of you have done that here too. And we can only get to those places of healing when we allow others to carry our mats. Which is what happens in this Bible story that we're looking at in Mark two today. This story here, so beautiful. I have this kind of picture, wondering imagination before we get into this story of what they were like together. It's probably a bunch of good friends. They were learning to live in true community and care for each other. and And then one day Jesus shows up. He comes to town. These four men they find out about it. And naturally, they want to hear this famous rabbi who's up and coming. and One of them probably says something like, hey, 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 guys, let's go, but we can't just go by ourselves. Like, we gotta get our buddy there. Like, this could really encourage him. This could, and and maybe, maybe these things that they're saying about Jesus are true. Maybe Jesus can heal our friend. Wouldn't that be something? Come on, guys, we gotta get him there. But to do that, maybe that's why, you know, they were late and the room was full, right? It's gonna make things harder logistically. Who's going to make them late? <laughs> but they're not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about Him. See, that's what friends do. Friends learn to find ways to inconvenience themselves for each other. So they swing by and pick up their friend, literally, right? <laughs> Four corners, get the mat, pick him up. They take him to where Jesus is teaching, but it's standing room only. Uh, The phrase in in Mark says, uh, there was no room left, not even outside the door. It was like, ah, Jesus is so close, but they can't get through to him. And these guys probably had not counted on this. They'd been really excited, but now it looks like they're gonna get shut out. But probably one of the uh, troublemakers, (laughs) I prefer creative thinkers, that's what I like to call us, creative thinkers, comes up with an idea hey hey what if we make a hole up there and we lure him down through the roof okay they know this is unconventional but they're desperate to get to Jesus they don't want anything to get in the way so here they go right and as they're doing this they've got to be thinking man I wonder how Jesus is going to respond to this disruption you know I know from personal experience as a a teacher that we don't really like interruptions while we're speaking right Notice Jesus was wise enough to come to earth and begin his teaching ministry before the advent of cell phones that would ring in the sermon, right? So so there you go, rest my case. So again, let's just imagine the scene, right? Back then, most of these homes had steps that went up to the roof so that on hot nights you could go sleep on top of the roof and climb up there. And so these guys climb up and they start taking away the mud, the sticks, the hay, and voila, there they are. And just imagine... um, Imagine if you're the guy that owns the house and this is happening, and you're like, what the? Right? Or if you're sitting below, like there's dirt and there's stuff falling on you. People are starting to scatter and get out of the way. Chunks of mud kind of bounce around. Somebody probably ran up to the roof to stop these guys, that's my guess. But they persist, and it works. They get the hole, they lower their friend. And what's kind of cool is there's no record, at least in the text, of them saying anything Right, Just imagine Jesus is down there speaking. Then there's a hole. They lower the guy down. Jesus looks up next and sees what? The faces of these four friends staring down through the roof at him like, hey, what's up, Jesus? Um, and then verse 5 says this amazing thing. It says, when Jesus, read this with me, when Jesus saw their faith, just there, right there, he saw their faith. See, it wasn't what he heard that moved Jesus. We said he saw their faith. So what did he see? Again, just imagine the scene. I see a big hole in the ceiling. I see four faces that are dusty and anxious and hopeful, hoping somehow that Jesus is going to respond. Jesus sees this group. They act on an irrational commitment to the well-being of their friend. Jesus sees, I think, a little bit of what God intended when God made human beings in his image. He sees these people who love this guy in spite of brokenness. I think Jesus looks up and he thinks, oh, wow, this is humanity at its finest, this right here. And when he sees all of that, he sees there. Faith, that's what he sees, I think. And then I imagine Jim, 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 you were Jesus for a second there, how about that? (laughs) I imagine Jesus, maybe dressed as Jim, um, turning his gaze from seeing their faith, and he looks down now. There's this twisted, motionless body on a mat, and Jesus not only sees a broken body, but as he sees with every one of us, a broken, hurting soul. And he speaks tenderly, son, he says, your sins are forgiven. Now just pause there before we jump to the next part of the scene, because if I'm the guy laying on the mat and Jesus says that, I'd be like, hey, Jesus, (laughs) I didn't really sign up to have my sins discussed in front of everyone, you know, like, hello. Um, And don't worry, in your small group discussions this week, we're not going to have you confess all your sins to everybody, so don't stay away from small group this week, it's fine, we won't go there. But but, this is one of the things that does happen when you get in deep to community. See, in deep community with Jesus at the center, in a fellowship of the mat, eventually we do find ourselves being willing to be real and honest and eventually confess our sins, not behind our back. People don't talk about it behind our back. But we feel free to confess and get reminded by our Mat carriers are people around us that we are forgiven. They can speak to us this truth. You are forgiven. It's a reminder of the truth, friends. See, when we follow Jesus together, I mean it says it in James 5:16 very clear, very well. Therefore, <laughs> confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Whew, that's a big promise. When we follow Jesus together, we experience freedom and healing. When we risk confessing our brokenness in safe places with healthy followers of Jesus, that could be a whole nother sermon. Um, But the truth about good friendships and trusted people is, is, is when somebody is your true friend, your true brother or sister in Christ, your greatest desire for them, even more than their physical health, is that things are right, between them and God. And for people that are truly my friend, their deepest concern is the well-being of my heart and my soul. And think again about this man who had been paralyzed, who had been mocked and judged by people that assumed that because of his damaged body, he was somehow spiritually inferior. But this man is now told by Jesus in front of a whole bunch of people that probably judged him this way, This man has said, Hey, Jesus says, Hey, you are clean. You are forgiven. You are right with God. Now, shift back to the verse. The next part of the story is it's a real key part of the story that I didn't want to skip. um, Was that there are some other characters in the story? There's some people in the room that get mentioned for good reason teachers of the law. These are people who were thought of and probably thought of themselves as spiritual giants. Apparently, they arrived on time. They got the good seats, right? (laughs) They didn't have anybody to bring to Jesus. I guess they were supposed to be the spiritual ones, but I wouldn't be surprised if no one that they knew was hurting or confused or needed Jesus or wouldn't admit that anyways. See, I think that there's an important implication to this. It is simply impossible to know the love of the father without also sharing his heart for people. See I've I've been in I have actually some ways grown up in some circles, church circles, where many people thought they were becoming more spiritual because they attended many church services and memorized many Bible verses, making them more spiritual. And those are good things, right? Problem is, they did those things, but their hearts for people, especially those who were far from God, for the lost, for the searching, their hearts for people with bad habits, their hearts, these self-perceived mature people, their hearts got a little colder, a little harder, a little more judgmental year after year. And what was messed up is not only that that was kind of normal and seemed to happen a lot... What was really messed up is those are the folks that thought they were the mature ones. They were growing spiritually. See, their concern for holiness, they use that as a way to excuse their lack of embracing hurting, broken people. And I think that the truth is, not that, I think the truth is this. I think the truth is more. the more spiritually mature that you become, the more you will find your heart drawn to people. You will want to reach out to people, especially those neglected by society or those who feel far from God. In fact, let me say it this way. The longer you take following Jesus seriously, the more you will find your heart drawn to people, especially people who are hurting. And I think that's pretty descriptive of these teachers of the law who sat there listening to Jesus. They didn't have anybody to bring to him, And it doesn't seem like they had a lot of love for this paralyzed man who needed Jesus' touch. Now, here's what's amazing about Jesus (laughs) He's concerned for these guys, his critics. He's concerned for his critics too. He loves them just like he loves the man who's been lowered through the ceiling. So, even though they are outraged at Jesus saying to him, Your sins are forgiven. Jesus wants them to see that they too could put their trust in him. So he turns to the man on the mat and Jesus says, get up, take your mat, go home. Just imagine silence. Everybody's watching. The man stands up. He lifts his mat off the ground. He folds it up. He has spent his whole life on that thing and suddenly, never again, (laughs) never again, suddenly his whole world has enlarged from this three foot by six foot mat to as far as his feet can carry him. And not only has his body been healed, his heart has been also his soul, every sin forgiven. I mean at that moment physically and spiritually he's probably the healthiest guy in the room. And it was all because of a fellowship of the mat. A fellowship of the mat. I think there's a couple of elements that are important here. The first question for us, I think as followers of Jesus are who are you bringing to Jesus, right? Who whose mat are you carrying? And I want to clarify something about that when we think about whose mat we're carrying because I don't want any of us to think that we are supposed to single-handedly try to carry other people because that's why we do this together in community. Even from a practical standpoint, I think that might be why it took four guys, right? One on each corner of the mat to carry this guy. And I think that that's true of us too. See, it takes more than one of us to help carry your brother or sister. And remember, we're not fixing them. We are pointing them and bringing them to Jesus. Now, here's the deal. If you're the only one, you go, "Uh uh-oh, I'm the only one walking with someone. Listen, don't abandon them. Don't abandon them. But realize that that can be exhausting, And it can lead to things like codependency and a savior complex. So right now, it's important for you to start thinking about and praying for others to help come around that person that you are trying to carry on your own. Because it's true, we say this all the time, no one stands alone, but no one is intended to carry others on their own as well. And this is a good thing, right? This is a really good thing because when I'm the guy on the mat and I'm the one who's needy, I don't want to wear you guys out. So it's a good thing to know that there's a group of friends who I can turn to and not fear that I'm overwhelming just one other person. It's also good for me to know when I'm helping carry someone else that there's more than just me, there's just more than one of us in the mix of loving and serving our brother or sister who is in need. It's not all up to me when I'm trying to carry them. So again, the first question, Are you pointing? who are you pointing back to Jesus? Whose mat are you carrying? That's the first one. The second one, um, because we all need to be carried sometimes. We all need others to help us. So the second one is, who are you allowing to carry your mat? Who are you allowing to carry your mat? And by the way, even if it just starts with one person, because it starts with one person, um, it needs to be more than one person who carries us to Jesus, because we, again, we do this together. We do it together. Like, but here's the thing, especially when I get to the second one. Well, who are you allowing to carry your mat, right? (laughs) Okay, I know from personal experience, it can be hard to be honest, to name our mat. It's hard to name our weakness. In fact, some of us, I think, we can see other people's mats far easier than we can see our own, right? (laughs) Maybe we even think we have a gift of spiritual mat identification. (laughs) Applies to everyone else, but not me. Um, We don't want to reveal our own, right? And we all do that, right? So when we do that, and we all do it from time to time, when we're doing that stuff, really our primary goal might be hidden, but uh, our goal when we're identifying everybody else but not our own stuff is we're trying to hide our brokenness from other people. Just trying to hide from them. And if you do this long enough, especially high-functioning folks, (laughs) Um, You may get good at hiding your mat. You may convince everyone else of your strengths, but you will not live in true, authentic, Christian community. You'll end up living in the dark. You'll end up living hidden. So let me come back, be pesky here. Very personal question again. Who carries your mat for you sometimes? Who do you show your weaknesses and your struggles to? Who do you ask to pray for you when you need prayer? Who do you let see your brokenness? Who, who do you let see your hurts, your pains, your disappointments, your struggles? See, hear me. If you want a deep friendship, you can't always be the strong one. You can't. You will sometimes have to be willing to take a risk and let someone else carry your Matt. You have a mat, and I do too. We don't like to admit it, but we all have brokenness in our lives, and we need others to carry us sometimes. And sometimes we, like, we might need them to carry us for longer than we wish we needed it. And the problem is, again, we don't want others to have to help us out. We want to be the strong one, right? Oh, well, not me. I mean, I'm struggling, yeah, yeah. But it's much worse for so-and-so, so yeah, don't worry about me. Listen, if you hear nothing else I say today, um, hear this. As we follow Jesus together in true, authentic Christian community, you are both on the mat and carrying someone else's mat. And sometimes you're doing both at the same time. You're on the mat and helping carry someone else's mat, and sometimes both at the same time. Friends, the fellowship of the mat still exists. You will find it wherever a group possesses and implements an irrational commitment to the well-being of its members. It's not an easy fellowship to be a part of. It's, it's, it's awkward because people's mats are sometimes very heavy, very bizarre. And you're going to have to crash through some roofs of busyness and conflicts. It's a pain sometimes. But the fellowship of the mat is where healing and wholeness begins to happen. And those who have lived this way and those who find their way to a fellowship of the mat will never live without it again. They know better. And they'll never want to live without it again. Now, probably every preaching class in seminary and every <clears throat> speech class in college would say this is a great place to stop the sermon, pray, send you home, but this ain't a seminary class and that wasn't a speech. <laughs> so just give me five more minutes because um, I was not going to cry. <laughs> Before we close, um, I'd be failing you as, a, as your pastor if I don't acknowledge but this is personal for me. This is personal experience. Um, I know about the fellowship of the mat very well. Um, I've been so honored by friends throughout my life who have let me carry their mat, who have trusted me with their brokenness, with their weakness, friends who haven't faked it or hid it around me, people who have been authentic and vulnerable. So I've carried mats, and and those people have carried my mat as well. I can think of just a few things. Just last week was one. Heidi and I were part of a small retreat in Florida that was funded by an old friend who carried my mat at some crucial seasons in my life and invited us with Dave and Bonnie Johnson to come um, and be with a number of young pastors who have left church ministry, and most of them are pretty burned out. But that retreat, that little retreat in Florida became a fellowship of the mat because i have been in their shoes see when hurt and church dysfunction derailed my life Jesus sent people to walk alongside of me and carry my mat, again some of you right here and now Heidi and I get to do that for some other people we're not fixing them, we're just bringing them back to Jesus and wider than that Again, and some of you here, even in this room, have seen me through the darkest days of my life, carrying my mat when I went through a divorce a decade ago, pointing me back to Jesus, and sometimes having to carry me to Jesus. Voicemails, text messages, things that I needed at the right time. Thank you. And just even thinking more recently than that, um, Right here, this church has been a fellowship of the mat, especially some of you who have constantly encouraged me. Like, remember, if you've been around, I showed up in 2017 for six months to just help out for a little while, okay? (laughs) Um, That's what we thought was up, and our church experienced tragedy, and trials, and loss, and difficulty. Um, What a ride. But together, here we are. This... Little church that's learning how to become a family. And what I recognize in all these different seasons of my life is this. The fellowship of the mat. When I went through hard stuff, the fellowship of the mat is what carried me through, pointing me to Jesus. See, I knew that I was benefiting from the fellowship of the mat as a recipient because I could be myself. I was free to struggle and admit all of it. I was free to admit depression, anxiety, fear, self-doubt. I could confess to these folks my shortcomings as a as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, and they gave me grace, amazing grace that I didn't even know I needed at the moment, and they gave it to me. Consisting of so many people that were a part of this broader fellowship of the mat, so many friends here in Arizona, friends back in Minnesota, my parents and and my my brother and sisters and their spouses. I mean, that's a lot of people, right? Apparently, I have a really big mat. (laughs) But because of those friends and the family and this church family, this fellowship of the mat, especially the inner circle of a handful of people, today, I'm finally in a place where God brought me back in to do what I thought I would never have an opportunity to do again. Over the last four years, to Love and serve at a church in a pastoral role. And thanks to this Hope Fellowship of the Mat pointing me back to Jesus, and thanks to the beautiful gift of God and my sweet wife Heidi, that's where God's taken us. It's been through a lot of pain, but that's where he's brought us. And for you, maybe (laughs) you'll never have to go through that kind of pain. But some of you have. And some of you have faced and are facing much worse whether it's the loss of a relationship or a loved one or some disease or illness, financial loss, job loss, depression, feeling just stuck in life or a prodigal children or a prodigal spouse or maybe it's just daily life, whether you've been there or will be going there, all of us need a fellowship of the mat. That's just a major part of following Jesus together. So right now, as I'm about to wrap it up for real, <laughs> two things I would just want to emphasize as we close, some things that I've learned from going through all this. Number one, don't wait until your life falls apart to scramble around looking for who those people are, who that fellowship of the mat is for you. See, if it's built ahead of the storm, you're going to be way ahead in dealing with the crisis when it comes. So make sure, don't wait until life falls apart to build that. And some of you might be in the middle of things falling apart. It's okay. Then start now. Start now. So don't wait. Second thing, as I get ready to pray, I want to repeat this. If you want deep, biblical, authentic community and relationships, you can't always be the strong one. So not only will you have to be willing to carry someone else's mat, you're going to have to be willing to let people carry your mat as well. And sometimes you do both. At the same time, on the same day, Which is a beautiful thing because if you walk with a limp like I do, it's really nice to remember. Nice to remember that God doesn't wait for us to be completely healed before allowing us to love and serve and minister to others. It's good. So, who are your mat carriers and whose mat are you carrying? Who are your mat carriers? And whose mat are you carrying? Let's pray. God, I pray that we, this Hope family, would more and more resemble a fellowship of the mat. Thank you for the ways that it is happening and does happen. But would you... Help us to learn to trust and to lean into being a people, not people who fix each other with cliches or slap Bible verses on problems, to be a people who carry one another back to Jesus. We want to be a fellowship of the mat. (sighs) To those of us who feel lonely or alone, will you give us courage to, to try? To those who've been wounded In the past, will you give us a willingness to try again? And to those of us who've even been wounded by people right here, in our own church family, our own church body, will you help us to forgive, to grow, to speak truth and love so that we don't isolate? It's in the power of Jesus' name that I ask and pray this. Amen? Amen.